Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. Right now, they are running their preseason sale 30% off your entire purchase using the promo code PRE30, P-R-E-30, and that ends August 27th. Uh, get over there. You can check out their new system builder, so you can just click on that. You can tell them what season you're looking for, and it'll make some recommendations uh, as far as what gear to use. So, um hard to beat 30 percent off uh already great prices and on some really great gear um really excited to be working with them this year and the fact that they added nate um to their team uh to to help work with us uh from the creative side is amazing so i uh, can't say enough good things about huntworth check them out huntworthgear.com so this podcast one of our uh, good friends, also one of the sponsors, uh, you know, he's part owner in the Vitalize Seed Company, um, Jared Van Hees. Uh, we've been trying to get him up to our property in the UP for uh, probably four years now. Um, and finally, he was able to get up there and walk the property. And just like bringing, uh, I know some people think differently about this, but just like bringing somebody new on your property to hunt it. Um, and they see the property differently. Um, having someone who actually lives and breathes habitat work uh, come to your property and say, 
you know, this is what I would do. This is what you guys are doing right. This is my, maybe what I would tweak um, was invaluable. So uh, really cool to have him up there. We did a video uh, that I'm editing right now uh, to put out along with this podcast. So um, you guys can see kind of what it looks like uh, up there. But anyways, this podcast, super cool. And you'll see... Um, you know, we talk about it on there, uh, talk about it, uh, on the video that we shot, uh, that vitalized seed is something else. And the, the people that are using the seed, uh, from us. So obviously, you know, he supports the show, sent us some seed, you know, to put it in the ground to use. Uh, and it, it just continues to impress. And, uh, for everything that he was talking about, the new, uh, fall blend, the carbon load. I'm very excited, uh, to see how that takes off, uh, especially compared to what we're already seeing, uh, from the spring mix. So anyways, um, for you guys that have small pro- plots of property or wooded pieces of property, uh, property that you don't have time to, to spend, you know, maybe you don't have all the equipment, all that. Um, you know, we, we do have some of the equipment up there, um, it's just a long, t- long time to get up there. You know, there's lots of costs, the time, everything involved, um, for the small, like no-till food plot guy, even a big no-till food plot. Um, this, uh, podcast is going to be for you, uh, really, really, uh, eye-opening, uh, every one of us that was up there with Jared and him just saying, basically mow it, spray, spray it. And by the time that that spray dries, uh, come back and put the seed over it and then call to pack it. If you've got one drive over it with a four wheeler, um, just try to get that seed down in there a little bit further. Um, and that's it. And I think we were trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, one of the things I took away, maybe I say on the podcast, but what you said that, you know, if you want them to look pretty, um, you can do all this stuff, but if they, you know, if you do it this way, they may come in patchy. It may not look beautiful, uh, but the deer don't care. They're still going to eat it. And I think that was probably one of the the biggest takeaways that I had from, you know, that visit, um, and the podcast. So, you know, just thanks. And I think you guys are going to enjoy this, especially, uh, if you still have some throw and grow or some no-till plots to put in, I think that this is going to be pretty helpful for you, but just got done literally with a zoom call with the Patreons and our Patreon hunt is, you know, less than two months away. Our season's coming up here real quick, uh, talking about scouting, but the amount of people, the amount of Patreons, the amount of support that we have, uh, for this thing, um, is incredible. And, uh, it just keeps seeming to get better and better. Uh, really looking forward to it again this year. Um, and those Patreons, those are the guys that support the show. Those are the guys that we do the giveaways for. Uh, we don't work with partners that don't, uh, give back to the actual people who support us and support the show. And this is just another way that we give back to them. And, you know, obviously we talked about Huntworth. We talked about Vitalized Seed, um, Latitude Outdoors. Uh, those guys um, always come through in the clutch. Really, really good people. Um, carbon sticks, those are landing. People are seeing them. Uh, the next podcast, uh, you know, my buddy Eric has some. He's going to be hunting with us, but he paid for the sticks. He gives his opinion on them. And, uh, all that will, we're going to run them. We're going to use them and really excited about that, but we'll definitely have some stuff, uh, to Patreon hunt for that. Uh, lucky buck, lucky buck up there in the UP. We're seeing more and more, 
uh, mature deer. We're seeing bigger antlers. We're seeing that antler growth all the way out the mass, all the way out to the tips. Um, like they talk about, uh, Spartan Forge just was using Spartan Forge, uh, on the Patreon call, uh, to kind of show them where we're going to be. And you can go to SpartanForge.ai, look at that imagery. Uh, we're getting into the time of year now where that predictability comes in, where it says, uh, you know, these this time of year, this is the predominant winds. This is where you're going to want to be. Uh, this is where the deer are going to be, whether it's on, um, you know, a food pattern, whether they're going to be in their bedding areas and transition area, full range, any of that stuff. Uh, Zinger and Kanadi, you know, those guys did a podcast with them you know, when we were down at the expo, but more and more people are converting over to the zingers and you, you just continue to show people and they're like, I can't believe that those work and mess up an arrow, take your fletching with you. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the eye opener for a lot of people, but check those guys out. Um, zinger and those Kanadi arrows are, are great. Um, big shot targets. So big shot targets, you can use code, uh, BHC, uh, 10 to get 10% off of their targets. And those big shot targets, really cool. That, uh, their doe, I think it's called like the double doe or double deer target or whatever. Um, it's based off of like 120 pound deer. Um, so shooting the traditional bow and trying to gauge yardage and just kind of get that, you know, sight picture, uh, is really helped uh, with that. So check them out at big shot targets. Um, definitely going to be one of those up at the Patreon hunt. And, um, you know, not really one of our partners, but some people that we're friends with over at Redline um, gave us a ton of stuff to give away at, uh, at the Patreon hunt. They came through clutch. Um, Going to be using some of that stuff this year as well. And like I say, these, these guys, these companies are so generous to give back to the people that support us, not only to support us, you know, and say, Hey, you can use our stuff, you know, you help us out, whatever. Um, but they actually give us stuff to give away, uh, to the people that support that. So you can check that out at, uh, patreon.com forward slash born Chronicles podcast, or, um, you can just click the link on our social. You can go to the website and click Patreon and see what it's all about. But basically, you know, you're supporting us directly and, uh, we appreciate it. But if not, like I say, this is, this is going to be uh, another podcast. You just go ahead and tell somebody else about the podcast. Tell them about a podcast that's that helped you, and uh, you know that's all we can ask for you. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody. Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, and uh, recurring guest on here, uh, Jared Van Hees, uh, Habitat Podcast, Vitalized Seed, and I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking. You know, I listen to this podcast because it's public land, because, you know, it's doing it the hard way. And now we're going more towards this, uh, you know, habitat and um, food plotting like uh, this is bullshit. And I, I guess I, I want to kind of go back to, you know, if you go back, you know, four years, five years when I was talking to Jared, like it's always been like there's this property in the UP. It's seven hours away. I would, I mean, I'm I'm going to be hunting Kansas. I'm going to be hunting Ohio, like Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, all of these places, Wisconsin, I can get quicker than I can get to this property in the UP. And as we get into this, you know, we'll get Jared's thoughts on the property because I've said it many times that there's a lot of people who would think, oh man, I've got 240 acres. 
um, I'm living the dream, you know, I've got, I've got this piece of property and for me, it's such a long drive. It is a lot of, it's a big woods property that doesn't, hasn't historically, um, produced any big deer and has, um, you know, a lot of pressure and it's really thick and nasty. Um, and in talking with Jared and, and finally getting him up there, you know, we can, we can start to kind of make it better, at least for the next generation thinking of, you know, he, I don't think he got to see all the girls, um, that were up there, but there it was you know, four girls, um, 12 to seven running around antagonizing all the adults, uh, riding four wheelers causing, uh, chaos, but, all that to say, Jared finally did make it up to the property, came over on his vacation, took time away from his family to come over there um, and do that. So um, we just kind of recap that. So uh, how are you doing, Jared? Good morning, man. I'm doing good. Appreciate you having me back on. And um, yeah, it was good seeing you the other day. It was about a week ago. And hopefully all those girls had a good time up there. I know, I know mine did up in the UP when we were up there. So let's you know i can i can paint a picture and say well it's just this big ass cedar swamp with a couple of fields um with the habitat podcast and you've been doing this for for 5 years now you're starting to do land plans where you go and walk people's property um what does a typical land plan look like and then you know what did we do up there from like a traditional standpoint sure so yeah, throughout the podcast, you know, we we had a need from our listeners. Hey, come out and help me out on my farm, on my on my parcel. Come show me what I'm doing wrong, and uh, and so we formed the the land plan side of things um, a while ago. And basically, what that is, we come out and visit your place, scout for a couple hours with you, like we did at yours, and then I would then go back and work with. Uh, you know, my team, my co-host and come up with a plan for your parcel specifically. What that normally looks like, we have guys who have done it on 10 acres up to, um, you know, 550, 600 acres. Um, so it really depends on where you're at in your land ownership journey. But the goal is always the same to try to help people have better habitat and better hunting. Like I'm a hunter. That's where this all stemmed from is hunting deer with my bow and arrow, I'll gun hunt too, muzzleload, uh, all that. But what what this is about is I'm a huge habitat nerd. I like improving the land and changing it for better hunting. And then if friends and clients can benefit from that too, from what we've learned over all the years, um, that's what we try to do. We try to help out. So your piece was interesting, a little bit different than I thought. You know, the UP, I've spent a lot of time in the eastern part of the UP where it's more, you know, bigger cedar swamps, um, not quite as quite as diverse as, as what yours was. I really liked yours. And, um, yeah, I, I came down, well, I got there, about 8 a.m., got there, and we spent a few hours. And I would have liked to have a little more time there personally, but normally we get that, we get that first scouting trip over in a couple hours, no matter what size of parcel. I can get a feel for what you're doing, what the deer are doing. Uh, based on talking to you and your dad, I, I got that idea. So obviously 
this has to be like the worst time of year to to do a, a property walk because we went basically I, I guess kind of the way that we hunt it like on the perimeter of this property and it was incredibly thick and and you know because of all of the out of state and public land hunting and then you know adulting family stuff I don't get to spend that much time up there I really haven't hunted there aside from a weekend here or there and in probably the last five years and it has grown up immensely I mean from what you were saying like a lot of these properties are monotonous or there's you know they need cover and that's about the last thing that we need up there um you know when you talk about uh properties and diversity what is it that you are are looking for trying to build on you know these properties i mean what are what are like the the tenants of your land plans is it always food is it cover like what what is it that you know you try to build upon yeah so cliche answer food water cover pressure right um that's that's the basic but every pro every single property is different like you yours was one of i don't know a couple single digits that that i've been to where i didn't recommend like getting a forester in there cutting 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 you could still cut more up on your higher ground between the the west wet end and the cabin um but that can be at a later later time that's not the lowest hole in the bucket so basically what we look for is the lowest hole in the bucket or holes in the bucket and try to round out your property where you have everything that you need because if you don't and your neighbors do or the guy down the road does you're missing out and if you're hunting it wrong with pressure on top of that you're not going to have good results so like yours you had plenty of cover you had some old clear cuts you had some neighbors with some clear cuts you had the swamps which was great um the conifers everywhere that was that was cool you know i've spent years planting trees like that to get cover like that and you already have it so that was what was a little bit unique about yours and cool to see because i cover takes a while to grow so now one thing and i think everyone that was up there so this this property is a, a family property my brother was up there uh helping do some work my dad was there um and then the family from Wisconsin, there's a, a younger guy who, um, he's moves dirt for a living. So he's got access to all this equipment. He goes up there and, uh, we, we have a, a Jared was pretty enamored by our, I don't know, late sixties, early seventies, Kubota diesel tractor. He was kind of, yeah, it was cool. So, so we've got some equipment up there. There's skid steer up there. Um, and I think traditionally that's what we think of, you know, when we see all the cool pictures that you post, um, you know, everybody's pulling a cult packer, everybody's doing all this stuff. Um, you, you see, you know, if you follow along with Vitalize, you got Al on the big tractor with the big sprayer and all this stuff. We do have some of that stuff, but I think everybody was basically blown away by your recommendations on how to easily plant these. I mean, I think 
we always think that we've got to turn a bunch of dirt and we've got to use all these very elaborate, expensive things. And you told us basically, yeah, we don't have to do any of that. And, and we have, you know, what, a nearly five acre field and then a bunch of like little half acre places here and there. And the reason that we only had the food plots that we did is because we only have time to mow and disc and remove all the rocks and then fix the equipment that we broke. And that, you know, we, we, we run out of time. So um, that was not your recommendation at all. So kind of go into that. Cause I think that that's to me that from my side, from an everyday guy side, from, you know, the, the public land or small property type and, th- and not, this is not a small property, but you know, people think that you need all of this equipment to be able to, to manage things properly or to do food plots or whatever. And none of that was in your recommendation. So can you kind of go through that? Yeah. And, and my recommendation was based on what your, your goals were, which is we're up here for a weekend. It's seven hours away. How can I get four to five plots in um, this weekend yet, or, you know, in the future in a weekend. And um, yeah, it kind of, stemmed from from me as well like my property was an hour and a half away so when i'm going out there three times just to get some seed in the ground you know that's three different days a couple weekends the kids at home the wife the whole thing so have you ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of food plot seed mixes out there well you are not alone and vitalized seed has developed a seed program that takes the guesswork out of food plotting Vitalize Seed has two core mixes, the Nitro Boost and Carbon Load, to keep it simple. Nitro Boost is their spring-summer food plot mix, and Carbon Load is the fall plot mix, each having a diverse mix of over a dozen different seed types that are highly attractive to whitetail. Food plotting made simple, but it gets even better. Each mix provides necessary nutrients to the soil, making for better plots each season and saving you money by needing less Roundup and less fertilizer each season. The 1-2 system simplifies your food plots just how nature intended. Vitalize Seed. Make biology work for you. Order now at vitalizeseed.com. You know, and where you guys did disc up the dirt and plant the Vitalize, you know, the it looked great. So that does work, right? It does. It's conventional. We call that conventional planting or conventional farming where you're working up the dirt, you're packing the seed in, you know, so that does work, but there are other ways to skin the cat. And the way that I recommended based on our discussion was kind of a spray and, and pray method or a throw and mow. They call it, there's all kinds of slang terms for it, but what you're doing is you're not busting up that ground. You're terminating the existing competitive vegetation which are your grasses that are there and then you're letting mother nature letting the rain pound the seed down into the dirt getting that contact and then that dying and and eliminated grass mat covers up those seeds acts as if you're burying the seeds and then um that's all that they really need to to get going now this works better with smaller seeds it works better with a good rain um 
you know, you're going to have to use a little bit more seed when you're doing this because predation, um, some of the seeds will, will dry out if they're not fully under the grass. So there are advantages and disadvantages to every way you do this. But I mean, you guys were able to get, I don't even ask how many plots you got finished up by the time I left Friday midday and whenever you came home. Um, you can you can go in there, you can brush hog. The, if it's really tall, brush hog it down, spray it, let the herbicide dry, spread your seed pack, and then you're done. Pray for some rain. And that's what everybody was saying. They're just like, really, that's all we have to do? Like, And one of the things that Jared said up there, and I think it kind of, it, it really stuck with me, is, you know, these are not going to look like Lee and Tiffany's food plots. They're not, it's not going to be, um, you know, Heartland Bowhunter beautiful uh looking food plots however the deer don't care and that to me is i think the the most important thing right like if we're doing this so that they look nice you know that that is you know a validation of like what we're doing okay okay pat myself on the back like look at how beautiful these are um but in reality, I mean, the proof is in the freezer, essentially. Like that, that would be what would be a measure of success. You know, did we, did we improve the land for the deer? Are the deer using it like we want? Um, etc. And I, I let it's very easy for me to talk about gear, right? Because I've talked, you know, I've used a lot of gear, I do a lot of hunting. Like food plot, food plot seed. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a green thumb. I can't do shit with any of that. These guys up there, uh, you know, my family from Wisconsin, you know, they did all the legwork, right? So they did the soil sample. They brought in tons of lime. They uh, went and spread the lime. I think there was still like a dusting of snow on the ground, and they're out there with a skid steer spreading lime in this in this field, they turn up all the dirt. They built a giant watering canister that Jared saw on a tractor and they're out there fire hosing the, the field. Uh, when we weren't getting all that rain, did everything in our big field and this food plot. Now I did send Jared a picture, uh, for yesterday. And I think there was nine deer in the food plot that was just mowed and you know, there's that's just one snapshot of one time. So there was some of this that's getting mowed down, but we planted that with a, a, a different seed company's seed because that's what Andrew had ordered uh, prior to getting the vitalized seed. And that food plot was, two inches tall and sparse, lots of bare dirt. And then in the other places where we put the vitalized seed, it's like knee high and big lush. And, you know, so I think to me that that either shows one of two things, like one, the vitalized seed is, you know, a little bit easier to plant. It doesn't take as, as much 
or it's not palatable to the deer and the deer <laughs> ate all the other stuff. And they're like, what is this crap? But it came in incredible. So I, without, uh, uh, <laughs> without, uh, you know, photo evidence or whatever, but we could see that the deer were in there eating it and things like that. But like yeah. uh, two different unsolicited conversations from the last time my brother was up there uh, two weeks ago or so. Uh, he's saying the vitalized seed is coming in way more uh, than the other stuff. And, you know, they're, they're kind of pissed because they're like, we did all this work. We did. I mean, they did everything for your conventional method and, what they planted, they it just didn't show up, and uh, you know the deer are in there, but the deer are in there every night anyway, so it's it's a it's a double edged sword. But what what do you think about that from a like a conventional versus a, what have you seen from like a conventional food plot to a you know throw and pray method? Yeah, so a couple points you brought there. And your pictures are showing, in that picture of those nine deer, I think I got four of them nose down in the vitalize right here. And I know that's not even the fall mix yet. That's just a spring mix. And the fall mix is way more attractive. Um, but to your original point of, you know, getting up there, doing all the work, and um, and trying to get these in the ground, you know, both methods work. There's no doubt about that. Um, the vitalized mix is way more diverse, meaning there's a lot more seed types in it than most other mixes out there. We haven't seen very many mixes that have more than than ours. And deer notice that they they like being able to take a bite of clover, you know, a bite of a pea, a bite of a bean, a bite of some wheat, and keep moving through that field. And I think both fields were hit. You know, I, I pointed out some deer brows in that other food plot too. You know, I'm not, I'm not one-sided on this whole thing. I think that some types of forage can take more brows. And when you have more diversity, you kind of cover your rear end a little more versus, you know, one type of item getting smoked out there. Um, and then to your point about the, the not looking like a, perfect even heartland bow hunter field that's because when you're doing this this throw and mow or, or or you know spray and pray method all this where you're just broadcasting seed out there and letting mother nature kind of bury it for you you're gonna have different germination times like some seeds are gonna hit the dirt in that first rain others are gonna be maybe a day or two later they germinate at different times so you're gonna have this uneven race of plants growing where when you're flipping the dirt laying all the seed on top and packing it down that's all going to pop at the same time that's where you get that even versus uneven look um and then how we combat that is we just go over it with some more cheap seed like a rye grain or a winter wheat fill in your your gap spots um if you want but deer don't yeah deer don't care so um i know that if you're doing the right things with your soil test your lime that takes care of the palatability, um, not, you know, not the brand of the seed. So one thing that kept coming up, you know, after you left and in, in our discussions of like, what do we do now? Right. So that's very easy from what we talked about. Okay. We went and mowed all the fields, sprayed all the fields, 
or all the food plots and some of them like where my dad was, there's no getting equipment down there. So it was a weed whacker. And this is just for the listener, but it does. I mean, this is like in the deepest, darkest part of a cedar swamp. And and what Jared and I would call like legit buck bedding. I mean, there's rubs everywhere. That's where all the deer come from. It's like a elevated point in the nastiest. I mean, we were walking through, you know, I, the, at the one point I stepped down in, into grass that would have been probably waist high, but it was knocked down by some sort of machine. And I was like up to my calf in water. <laughs> and that, then we moved up to the high point. And my dad's like, oh, well, that's where my food plot is. And I'm like, but that's, if you look at all the rubs and everything, like historically, if you didn't do that, uh, that's where the bucks would just be laying. So, you know, but to each his own, but, you know, in there with very little equipment, weed whacker, backpack sprayer, and, uh, you know, just a hand caster for the, the seed. And we did all that, but, you know, as you go through these land plans, how does it progress? Because in theory, um, some of the things that we do are going to work and they're going to be quantifiable. So we're going to say, okay. We noticed the deer changed their patterns. They did this. Um, we planted some stuff over here. We did a bunch of work, and that didn't really work. Or I, I don't know that we. It was enough effort, you know, you know, juice for the squeeze, right? How or when or why do you reassess? Good question. So, your your. Uh, property in particular i didn't really like how the access is built out and that's been like that for years right you got that trail right through the center of the property and it kind of diverges to your different corners um and when you're when you're doing that most of the deer who who are betting on your property i mean yours is a little bit bigger but in a normal 40 acre situation or 80 80 acre situation you're i mean you're letting all the deer know you're there that weekend um, even if you're hunting, it's hard to be stealthy when your wind is blowing one direction and and you're alarming deer. So that being kind of an Achilles heel on a grander scheme for your place, I'm trying to, to fill that hole in the bucket again. And I mean, you have 240 acres and a couple small food plots. I, my thought was we need some more food in here and if we can get some more food in here, get more of the deer of your caliber that you're looking for in there and then assess how we change our access or how we access, that's going to be kind of your ticket for anybody. It's, it's a, it's a moving target. It's a marathon. You know, I'm there for one day and I'm not hunting it all fall with you. You know, it took me a while to figure out my own place. So it's always a moving target, but as long as you own that property, as a land plan client, you have my my cell phone. We go over this stuff. You have questions. I was on the way down to your place that morning from uh, Van Riper. I was talking to a guy or texting a guy because I couldn't get service very well. Uh, he was cutting in a new food plot over in, you know, Standish area. So he's a client I worked on earlier this year. He's asking questions. Where, where exactly do we hinge cut these trees? And, and so that's the kind of access and questioning and information that you get to kind of help that moving target, that transition, because you're going to learn stuff over the years. You know, none of this is set in stone. So if, if we leave 
give you your plan and something you know isn't exactly how it should be let's talk about it let's come up with a game plan to figure out how to how to get around that issue or whatever that may be hey the bucks are, are getting my downwind right here well shoot there's a low point we didn't see they're, they're sneaking through back behind you let's maybe block that off with some hinge cuts. So let's move the stand that sort of thing so it, can, it cannot all be done in one day in a two-hour visit um but a lot can so that's one of the things and i think i talked to you about this is that when i have people come up there and hunt like good hunter guys that i would consider good hunters i love that because they i don't usually i, I will take a walk on the property but then I don't say, well, you go to this stand or you go and you saw what it is. I mean, uh, this property is for gun hunting. It is, you know, it's kind of like a bow hunter's paradise because there's places here, but you can just go and there's plenty of places to just throw up a tree stand that, that, or, you know, saddle set up, whatever. Um, and I think the guys that are good hunters, they usually just view the land differently. And we, as you know, I guess we'll call it just the landowner or the, you know, the resident. We say, well, Uncle Joe killed the buck there, and we always go there, and the wind, you know, the deer always move through there. But over time, or or you know, realistically, at this property, you're not seeing the deer that you want to, and then you bring in a new guy, and he's like, well, I saw four bucks, and you know, two shooters, and. You know, oh, you know, I saw the, these deer. This is, they're doing exactly what I thought they'd be doing. And it's like, I've been hunting here my whole life. Like, I don't understand. So, from that access standpoint, like, how do you have a conversation with the landowner or how do we, how do we break these, you know, in our case, you know, damn near a hundred year old traditions of this is how we get there? That's the hardest part, my friend. That's the hardest part. So when we so when we come up with these with these plans, we map everything out after the initial scouting trip, come home, draw up the plan, the whole thing. We'll get the client on a Zoom call like this, similar to this. We'll record the whole thing and we'll go over the plan. And I'll mention it like six, seven times. Like stay out. Don't let your wind blow in here. Go this way. And I'll, I'll reiterate it and reiterate it and reiterate the theme. Don't let the deer know we're there, period, period. And how much of that sticks when I take off and, and next season comes around, you know, probably not all of it. But if you get, you know, it, the the situation you mentioned there where the new guy comes in and sees all these deer, what is he doing different? He's doing, he doesn't have a bad habit, not that it's a bad habit, a long hundred-year tradition of doing the same thing. He has no tradition. He's learning, okay, well, I'm just going to try something different here. And boom, catches the deer off guard. They don't know, you know, to watch that guy versus any other guy. So like we talked about when I was up there, Dan Infault says he hunts by the parking lots. He's said that for years and he'll find buck beds where they're sitting there watching the parking lot. This is no shit. I've seen on my 15 acres, I found a bed under one of my tree stands I hadn't hunted that stand that year yet, so I don't think the buck was there because he knew my stand was there. But it was 10 yards off of my access path in this pine thicket. Couldn't have seen him. All rubbed up. The bed was all tore up, rubs on both sides. And I'm walking right 
by there to go further back in the property and hunt deeper every time. And it's just, it really clicked on me that day. I'm like, son of a gun, these things are literally watching me walk by from where I parked to go hunt deeper. And then he's sneaking out the back door gone. So yeah, I think after a hundred years, you have some pretty established bedding areas where they're watching those trails. So my thought is flip the script. Even if it takes longer, drive around to that back northwest corner, I think it was, slide in that direction, throw a curveball to this whole thing and see what happens. Um, you know, a bike, an e-bike, I'm going to end up picking up one of those. I can't fathom spending that much money on a bike, but at the same time, if it, if it gets me sent free access and I don't look like a human walking down a trail, that's an advantage. Um, so that's kind of where, where it goes in. But to answer your question, at the end of the day, is, do people change? I hope so. And get some better results if they do. And I think it's one of those things where you have to have uh proof of concept. So if you, I mean, in a, in a situation like what we have with, you know, 10 guys plus in and out of there, you'd have to say, okay, well this either I did this and I saw this and I shot this or this year we're not using this road any further than right. this. And if that takes, you know, dropping a tree down there so you can't do that. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, now, one thing that I will ask you, and I think that this is probably more common than what we're talking about here, um, especially on like a smaller property or like a homestead like property. Like if you live there and you got 40 acres and you're trying to figure it out, how do you deal with like multiple use properties or – you know, we're up there in the summer. It's a recreational property. We're riding four wheelers around there. You go up there, you're, you're camping out up there and you, you know, the kids are riding mini bikes in the field and all this stuff. Where does that come into this? We don't ever use that trail or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is it just hunting season? How, how do you do this on like, if it was your house? Yeah. So great question. I would totally use your property for, for what you want to use it for. And the closer that gets to hunting season, you got to understand the impact that that's going to have. So if you're cool with that and you want to rip around on the, on the mini bikes and have the kids play in the food plots in mid October, that's your thing. Um, I would prefer to stop accessing that main middle road and, and figure out different ways to do things probably a month before season. You know, those deer are going to shift from their summer ranges and hopefully, you know, you're not having a big field of soybeans right there. I'm thinking a lot of your your bigger bucks or your deer are probably summering down the road a little bit towards some of that bigger ag. Um, I'd rather have them come fall and winter on me than, than summer on me. So have fun in the summer and do your thing and then, you know, see if you can taper that off either at home or on your family property closer, closer to season. Yeah. I've never, I've never lived in the center of my deer hunting property with my kids. So I haven't had to have that issue, but we do stop going out there and, and doing chainsaw work and, and hanging stands, you know, August, September. So try to try to hone that off for season best you can. So when you're doing these land plans, is it mostly just 
properties for deer hunting? I mean, is it where like, this is my, this is where my hunting cabin is. This is, you know, so I, I would imagine if somebody's going to pay you some money to come out there and, and check it out, like they're serious about it. So it's more than just like, well, we just want to get an idea, but the same, at the same time, you know, for, for like my listener that may have 10 acres at home, you know, and we, we've talked about, you know, killing deer on four acre properties, 15 acre properties, um, all of this stuff, which is, you know, we talk about a hundred percent attainable and you may live on five or 10 acres and want to do some improvements, but you're also like, well, now can I not tell my wife to go walk the dog? Like you can't walk the dog out there, honey. Like you, absolutely not. There's no way. Where do you see like, like what Jake Bush talks about where you have these deer that are set up and bedded in these spots, right? That watch people doing non-hunting things and they're like, yep, not a threat. And then you see people sneaking out there with a bow in their hand and the deer's like, I'm out of here, you know? So, I mean, there has to be some of that as well, correct? Yeah. So, you know, leaving your, that main access road in the middle, let them, you know, they're still going to bed and watch that road, whether you use it or not. So, and to answer your question, we do, we do both. Um, Like our mutual friend, John, you know, he's got, I think less than 30 acres. It was, or right right about that 30 acre mark. Um, He lives there. You know, we set it up all around his house and that's just a little bit of a different prescription from the hunting camp style, depending on where the cabin or house is located. It just really depends on where the, the building is located and where you park and how you get in there. Um, but we have a lot of guys live on their parcels. I'd say more than not, they're, they're probably hunting parcels. Um, but it's, it's a mixture of both. Yeah. There's definitely not one or the other. Uh, some of the smaller parcels seem to be where guys live, you know, 10, 15 acres, 20 acres. And then you get your, your bigger parcels. A lot of those are further North, um, or in other States. Yeah. I don't know. I would say a lot of guys live on them too. So it all, it all depends. Um, you know, and you know, Jake, where he hunts and, and wh- where he finds these beds and how he hunts those, he's, I don't think he's allowed to really do any habitat work on these public lands, right. To, to change any of this. So he's kind of working with a different deck of cards where we can manipulate these bedding areas. We can block sight lines where that deer can't see the house, the road, the trail where he can maybe only smell it. Um, there are all the, these different tools in the habitat world that we can do to, to thicken up these parcels, create better bedding, block off situations where I think in his, his, um, area of expertise, he has to slide in through maybe some open timber first to get into some thicker areas. He's got, you know, more of a, like I said, like a different deck of cards he's playing with there. Well, I just wondered, you know, because on our property, these guys that are up there all the time, will say, and, and I, I guess it's not even that it's, it's the, it's the rifle hunters. Um, and they say, oh, you can ride those four wheelers out there. You can ride right up to those deer. And yeah, you can do that to a yearling doe or a, exactly. a, a button buck or something. But 
I guess it just goes back to like, what is the, what are you seeing? Right. Are you, are you seeing big bucks? Are you, I mean, is that what you're, what you're after? You know, yeah, you could ride right up to one and shoot them right off the four wheeler, but is it the caliber of deer that you'd be putting on the wall? Um, it, it's just interesting to me the different and and this is not a knock on on anybody um but we see it all the time like the the different i guess goals for for deer hunters you know and i think in, the, in that area in that camp there's a lot of just got to get my deer um and the the kid who's kind of spearheading the whole thing doing all of the work up there he's like yeah it's cool to see those basket racks but i want to see some bigger deer and he's coming out of wisconsin where you know he i mean he's got a food plot in his backyard um that's doing really well and i don't know what he's got on there for bucks or anything but he just happened to throw a trail camera out last year and had a giant buck and he's like we got all this property in the UP. Why aren't we seeing that there? And it's, it's because of, you know, it's because of us, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's what we're doing. Um, one thing we didn't talk about at all um, when we were up there, we did talk about cover. We did talk about, okay, that's a bedding area, um, et cetera. And it was interesting. I, I talked to a guy at the, the mobile hunters expo. He's a local guy here in Muskegon. And uh, he had one of the other habitat managers come out and, they set up all of these buck beds, like to the point of like removing every single stick from these things. And he said, Oh my gosh, you know, the deer are using them and you have to be like meticulous and all this stuff. Like, so when you go in, what is your take or are you building anything out in your plan for specifically for bucks? And I I know like, like the Jeff Sturgis's and stuff will do like all the buckwheat everywhere and, you know, all the like switchgrass and, and stuff like that. Um, but, but like, what is your take on that? Like, or is that like further down the line where you're like, Hey, we need to figure out what the deer are doing, how they're using what we're doing. And then we kind of go from there. Good question. So real quick on your, on your, so we'll, we'll talk about building bedding areas next, but real quick on your quad thing. I just feel like if you're a big buck in the middle of the UP and you hear an ATV coming or a vehicle coming, usually that's not advantageous to you. I, you know, I, I drove by a buck in a bean field the other night, a pretty nice buck. As soon as my truck stopped, he was moving. The other young buck stood there and stared at me. I just, you know, just think about that. Like, yeah, some deer maybe be okay with a quad, but I don't think most deer that we're trying to chase are especially in high pressure states uh that being said bedding areas now building buck beds building certain areas for bucks bedding for bucks definitely uh do i build an exact bed no not yet i think that walking your place in august it's hard to see compared to walking it in january um based on topography you can kind of tell where deer will bed. 
Uh, you know, I mentioned that Maple Ridge cutting some on top of there. You know, that would be a little bit of a higher elevation point. That would be where you can wreck some some canopy, drop some trees to the floor, open up the canopy. That'll turn into a big thicket up there, and you will most likely have deer bedding on that higher ridge. So yeah, we I create more of a thick, open canopied area on elevation points um, for bedding. I'm more of a generalist when it comes to a bedding area. And then if you're seeing maybe there's, you know, sticks down or you want to rake a spot out and put a log for a, a buck bed, I've seen guys do it. It does work. Now, you got to really exactly know that you, where your bucks are bedding and that they're going to bed there to make that fruitful. So for efficiency purposes, to get started, we make a bedding area first. And if they're using that and working that, which they should, feel free to spend all the time you want manicuring that and making, you know, the the backrests and, and everything else. Um, that That's my outlook on it at this point. And so, obviously, the woods are evolving, right? So, what we do this year is going to impact deer movement, but just like everything else. And, you know, just like we say, well, the deer have a say, like mother nature has a say in the way that, you know, anything that we do, the habitat around any changes that we do are going, is going to adjust um, to that as well. So as you have gone down this, like habitat journey, and especially like with the property that you're working on now, but even more so like your 15 acres, like what is a realistic like time frame on we'll we'll call it like this is going to be the worst thing ever um but like getting it figured out right because it's never you're never going to have it figured out but you know by the time you sold that 15 acres you had a very good idea of how the deer were using it how you needed to use it and so in these things, like when you talk to people or when you're recommending things for realistic expectations, like what is the timeline? Like say year one to say year five. Yeah. So I would say, um, I know you love this answer. It depends, right? It's a situational, but, uh, you know, boots, like you gotta have situational. Boots. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So the point is how much of the plan and how much work are you putting in year one, right? Are you just doing a little, are you just dabbling year one, then year two, you're doing a little more in year three? Well, it's going to take you longer to figure something out. If you go in, you know, hot and heavy right off the bat, complete the plan or most of the plan year one, year two, that's going to give you a different result as well. I'd say for that 15, it took me probably end of year two to really understand how the deer moved through it and how they didn't. And then after that, it was a tweaking and timing thing, you know, for me with work and kids and everything else to try to get out there and when to get out there and, and how to move them a little bit more. So I think with a chainsaw, if you're doing chainsaw work and food plot work and you're really manipulating the habitat, you should be able to see kind of how they use it within a year or two um, and be able to be able to set up on that. Now, all the intricacies of a 240 acre property that might take you a little bit longer. Um, you know, did this food plot work out here or did our, our where our stands at our thermals just sucking down towards that, 
that swamp. You know, there's things that you're going to have to figure out. But normally, it depends on how hard and how much time and effort you're putting in um, and, and, you know, how much hunting you're doing to observe. Um, But scouting in the wintertime, after you do a season of habitat work, those trails and beds should tell you exactly what you need to know. Well, and I think that that's a great, like, caveat there is, like, that after-the-season information may be what we need more. And I'm not saying we as, like, on this property. I'm saying, like, as a whole. Like, you go and you put in all of this work and you do all of this stuff. But maybe you continue to hunt the way that you've always been hunting and maybe you're seeing even less deer or you're changing your hunting style to Billy Joe Bob style. And you're like, well, we put up these food plots, so we're just going to hunt right on them. And, you know, you might see a lot of deer and you may kill some of the rifle and it may be a little bit better, but you may not have the caliber of bucks or, or whatever. But again, you can't observe you're impacting the deer so if you go back after the season and look, and especially if you have, you know, some some winter forage or something that's going to bring the deer there. And like in our area where you have a propensity for a pretty nasty winter and you're going to have uh, woody brows or maybe there's something left over in these fields you're going to get to see very quickly the changes in the, in the deer trails and just like going there after the season and saying, okay, well, I never went in there during the season because it was so thick, but now all the leaves are off. Now I can see, and, and oh man, the deer were just using it around accessing from the spot where it was terrible. So adjusted from there, I can see that being more of a, of a marker of a way to look at it and say, okay, now, now I know what's going on. Now they're leaving me uh, some information that I can, that I can use, you know? Um, yeah. yeah I like for instance, like we saw a bunch of rubs, you know, to over towards your dad's stand, like real, real rubbed up good rubs. You know, that screamed bedding area to me. And you were like, yeah, this is their bedding area. And, and we were kind of talking about it, the whole thing. It's not like I, I discovered that. But the sign was there to confirm it for sure. And like we don't do our visits in August. We are done with our our property visits usually by like late April before it gets really green. Because after that, it's it's hard to really see. We are, we can see. We know what we were looking for, you and I. But um, it's a lot easier to see January first through end of April, and that's when we do our visits. After that, we just work on the plans for the summer, and and by the time hunting season's done that same year guys are hitting the woods with the chainsaws, you know, right off the bat. So one thing we didn't talk about, I mean, we, we touched on it and I think you said you probably saw one of the coolest, um, hundred year old apple trees that you've ever seen. That was really productive. And, and I don't think you noticed they, they planted to probably 20 years ago, like right next to our cabin um, that are producing really well too. So there's two apple trees there, but we didn't talk about fruit trees or anything like that and adding them to like kind of what we've got going on up there. Um, But 
in your plans, how does that factor in? And then where do you place them based on, you know, your uh, stand location, food plots, you know, do you just say, well, we got an open ridge. We're going to put some up there. You know, how, how does that stuff factor in for, for like a, a mastery? Great, great question. I think the exception is usually, okay, we'll put like a couple acre orchard in here. You know, I don't do, I don't do a lot. Growing one up last night actually, but I don't do a lot of those. It's more of accessorizing your stand locations. I like to have a crab apple, an apple, a chestnut, a pear, you know, or a couple of them on the outer edge of my food plot. If it's a kill plot, you know, like a little tiny spot in the woods that you're trying to transition or catch deer on a transition to bigger food. Um, I'll have those within, you know, 20, 25 yards of a tree stand location, just a couple. And then same at the next location, put a couple in there and there'll be a max scrape there too. And a water hole. Uh, so we like to, we, we, term we use the term accessorize our tree stand locations to give them everything they need at each one of these spots so you're intentionally having a reason for those deer to to stop up there um again if you have enough property and your parcels of the correct like a larger size you can add orchards here and then use it as kind of a macro level and suck deer in from other properties with that idea you could do that on yours you have enough room um, but on a micro level, I like to put them at stand locations, because if you think about it, you're in a big, you know, thick area, monotonous woods, you're doing your hinge cutting, you're, the deer are browsing, you know, like 50% of their, their diets browse. So you're, you're checking that box. And if you have some mast apples, acorns, whatever, at a stand location, that's just a little bit of a, an icing on the cake a draw you know when you guys are hunting in the big woods or a lot of folks are trying to find those those white oaks same same reason those deer are attracted to these little areas and over the years i'm sure you've seen deer out by the end of that driveway i think you mentioned that and they're out there gobbling down those apples um right up by the road uh, so that, that's kind of how we look at it so uh from a cost standpoint right is there a better like bang for your buck investment than masteries? Because it doesn't seem like they're very expensive. No. And, and I've, I've kind of changed my thought process on this over the years. I used to plant, you know, one year old trees, two year old trees, protect them, pray for rain, the whole thing. And I've had pretty good success rate with them. Um, now I'm going to save up my money. I'm going to buy, the biggest, oldest trees I can. And first of all, speed up that timeline to when they'll actually drop fruit. Like my apples and chestnuts took me three, four, five years to start dropping. I want to speed that timeline up. A bigger tree is not as susceptible to, to being, you know, burnt out in the middle of this field as a young sapling would be. So I'm, that's where I kind of changed my, my mind on that. And those bigger trees are more expensive though. So the best bang for your buck is probably using a chainsaw and getting that woody growth, the fresh woody browse on the ground at a deer's level. Deer don't eat anything higher than, you know, five, six feet. So a big tree up above you is not doing squat unless it's dropping acorns. Um, 
and think about the amount of trees in the woods and how many of them actually drop acorns, you got some some wood to work with by putting it on the ground. That's probably your biggest bang for your buck. Food plots are great too because seed isn't all that expensive. And if you can get some food in there, um, and like the clover from that carbon load is going to come up next spring and look awesome. That's a pretty good bang for your buck. And then I'd say trees are are right after that. Um, if you have the time and you live on your place and you can water younger, you know, cheap trees, or maybe you plant 500 and go at that mass quantity approach and maybe say 400 live or, or 250 and you're still happy with that and you just leave them. That's another way to do it. But how much time are you spending planting 500 trees? So there's kind of this moving um, bell curve there on efficiency. And uh, but having an apple, like that 15 acres, man, all those apples are dropping now right at 25 yards. The chestnuts are full. It's like, man, that, but that took five, six years to do that. But now that it's in there, you got that stand look, you got that bait pile, that legal bait pile dropping apples for 20 years till it dies, 50 years till they die. So, so what does a large tree cost? So like, what is an established tree? Like you're talking about cost? Yeah. So, I mean, they can be anywhere from 75, 80 bucks to a couple hundred bucks per tree. Um, at the end of the day, if you make, if you do the dollars and cents, it, it kind of, it's easier, it's less time, it's more productive sooner. I think it's a better bang for your buck. Um, and it all depends on what kind of tree. You know, you got grafted trees, you have trees from Home Depot, you have um, Walmart chestnuts, you have chestnuts from nurseries. So there's probably a, there's a big price difference there. Um, but if you can, if you can hook up with a nursery or a wholesale nursery and, you know, find a, find a landscaper, um, we like to use Morse nursery out of Michigan. Their, their, uh, tree stock has been there for a long time and their trees are producing apples for me on my pieces. I like those. Um, just get a tree that's suitable for the job though. A lot of those Home Depot trees are made for, for your yard and not so much like an apple producing machine, you know, that stays, you know, 10 foot tall. Some of those, these better trees are on better root stock. They'll do better quicker. Well, I mean, I just look at it as like, um, cause $80, I mean, $80 versus is, like a 20 or $30 one year old tree, right. Is, or a $15 one year old stick. If, if you're looking at it from uh the the youper uh side of it, right? Eighty dollars is like I don't know, a year's worth of apples or carrots, you know. I mean, so it's like it's like buying a, a dividend stock, right? It's it's like buying a money tree. You're you're gonna get results year after year for return on your investment. I mean and the gas it takes to get up there and all of that stuff, it seems like that would be a a pretty like no brainer thing to do, you know, anywhere you're at, especially, especially on your 10 acres behind your house. And you only got one stand location. Like, unless you have like a bulletproof stand location or you're just trying to be like, Oh, this is going to be okay. Why wouldn't you throw in a couple of, you know, trees that, can produce year over year if 
you can't get up there and plant food plot seed. If you can't get up there, if something happens, but you still want to hunt and you still want to have some sort of reason for them to go there. And that's kind of like the same thing with those water holes, right? Like you don't have to, you know, kind of do anything, you know, nature's going to fill them up with water. I mean, you can go fill them and clean them out and do all that stuff. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you didn't do anything, there'd probably be some water in there anyways. Right. I mean, correct. So from a, a very practical standpoint, that seems like if you have an established stand location, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it year over year. And it seems like, you know, maybe you need to start an apple tree company because it's not selling a lot of food plot seed. But at the same time, <laughs> it seems like a, 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 a pretty like no brainer, easy way to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and it, you know, especially once you have your stand locations picked, that's the most important part is being able to get into those stands and out of those stands and not blowing the deer out. Um, once you have that figured out, which is the most important part is your access, right? Then you can accessorize these areas and you can invest in, I'm going to put a couple apple trees here, chestnut over here. Make sure I keep them a little bit away from the food plot. So my roundup, when I spread my food plot, isn't hitting those apples. Um, you know, there's, it's really how much do you want to put into your, your property? And I always say, you know, I want to be the outlier of the area. I want my 15 acres to be better than my neighbor's 70 and my other neighbor's 55. And I, I did that. And that was a lot of work, blood, sweat, and tears out there. But I did that. And now those deer just suck right through there. You know, um, there's no reason they shouldn't be in there. So if you can, if you can add apple trees, if you can add some, some pears, some hybrid pears, crab apples, um, and your neighbors all around you don't have them, where are the deer going to go? Like they're going to suck in there. As long as you're not blowing them out, you're going to, you're going to be better off. So how much do you, you know, how much do you want to put into it? How bad do you want it? You know, apple trees and, and trees i'd recommend doing as soon as you can because man they take years to start producing sometimes if you're doing the young ones and so uh, on something like that and uh, we'll wrap this up here uh here in just a few minutes sure when would you be planting those like when is the optimum time to uh plant a tree because i mean yeah it's it's 80 bucks but you get 10 trees well now you're you know 800 into it and you plant them all at the wrong time and they just die. I mean, again, proof of concept. That's like, we're not doing that again. Uh, when do you plant these in, and what is like the optimal like time and maintenance for this? Great question. So there's an old saying out there, any month that has an R in it is a good month to plant a tree. So that leaves out May, June, July, August. Um, if I can do all my spelling correctly. I would even venture to say I've, I've done most of mine or all of mine in the spring. Um, but I think the fall is even better. If, if you're not worried about tramps on your property, that's what I always worry about. Super low pressure. But at the end of the day, this stuff needs to get planted. It needs to be successful. And if I have to burn a little bit of a season on parcel a, because I'm putting in a bunch of trees in the fall, think about all the fall rains we get, right? We're not getting hot temperatures near as much as you would in May or April or June or July. That, that new tree you planted in April has to make it through June, July, August, September. 
That's that's hot and dry, especially this year. Gosh, I had plenty of people I know who are spending too much time this summer watering their their young trees. Um, God bless them. You have to do it. You put your money there. But I would recommend fall over over everything, and that's how I'm going to be doing moving forward. I'm going to buy the biggest, best trees. I'm going to, even if I can get trees that are big root balls or big pots, you know, dig a nice big hole and put those in once, you know, the temperatures are starting to get cooler. You get the morning dew even, that's precipitation. Um, You'd be better off establishing that root system in the fall. Then in the spring, when it comes back, she'll be looking real good. Okay. Well, you know, I really appreciate this and, you know, maybe this is just a hundred percent self-serving. Um, but I think that there are some people (laughs) I hope, you know, can, can take some stuff away from this too and kind of, uh, allow them to maybe change their mindset on like what expectations are or have to be, or don't have to be, um, when working with the, uh, some of this kind of stuff. Um, but if guys got questions or they want to reach out to you or they're like, Hey, you know, maybe I'd like to have you come to my property, you know, how do they do that? How do they reach out to you? Yeah, I appreciate that, Adam. And, and maybe it is a little self-serving, but at the same time, you know, I would urge guys, if you're, if you're on the edge about this habitat stuff, and you just, I don't know what to do. I don't you know where to go. Start, start somewhere, get the process going. Um, but I'm going to warn you, it's super addicting. And just like deer hunting all year round, my buddy Jake used to say, cause you're just literally you're planting in the spring, thinking about where you're going to kill that buck. You're planting, you know, you're planting in the fall. Where am I going to kill that buck? Hinge cutting. How am I going to kill that buck? It's, it's a little kooky to be honest with you. But um, if you have any questions or want to get into this stuff, we're over at the Habitat Podcast. Look up Habitat Podcast wherever you'll find us, and um, I think we got about six years of episodes going so far. Plenty of great guests on there, and and our website habitatpodcast.com. Our services are all there. And um, if you want some food plot seed, you know, Adam's been helping us with Vitalize Seed. That's vitalizeseed.com. Um, right now is the time to plant. We, in our area, Michigan area, I like to be done planting by like September 1st. So we're in the thick of it right now, buddy. And I can't wait just because of what you said about the the carbon load, right? That's the the, the fall mix. The fall yep. one. You know, it's got 16 different types of seeds and just seeing like what we had from the spring seed. But again, like I say, in the, you know, what you hear on the podcast, it just takes the guesswork out of it. Like you just plant this and then you just plant this. And the way that that other stuff came in, I'm really excited to see just because of your excitement, because you've used it before. And, you know, so I'm, I'm real excited to see what that, what that transitions into and, you know, whether we're using these uh, trail cam pictures or we're like what we like to call like trail cam enthusiast, those I, I'm really excited to see those January pictures up there to see actually how many deer are going to be pulled in um, just by what we've what we've got up there and then kind of have an idea of like what we can do going forward. So um, you know, thanks Jared for everything, and uh, I really do appreciate it. No, thank you, man. I hope you guys get all the rain that you can. And, uh, you know, good luck this fall. We'll keep in touch. Always have a good time chatting with you. Oh, for sure. Thanks, man.